Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our readings come from Romans 13.8 and Matthew 18.15-20. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If you are listened to, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, Take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If that person refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Amen. Well, before I get to the sermon, let me satisfy some of the rumors that have been bouncing around. Yes, today is my birthday, September the 10th. Yes, I crossed over. I turned 60 today. And yes, the light blue is my favorite color in the Porsche 911, just in case, in case that comes up anytime this week. We heard a great sermon last week from John Aldrich. It meant I had two weeks to work on this sermon for today, which is not to suggest that this is going to be more polished than any others. Instead, it meant I had time to chase internet threads where I would not have gone before. And that's a scary thing when you get lost in cyber world. Well, today's scripture is about what to do if there's an argument or broken relationship between two members of the church. So I I started musing about uh, how radically different this is from today's national climate to, to disagree and destroy. So I went online to look for examples of political fights the search, I mean, there were just too many sites to choose from. I had to Google that. I had to give that one up. So I Googled name-calling between Christians. Sadly, there were way too many sites on that one too. And I kept kind of moving and digging. And I I ran onto this uh, blog by a Christian who reports on the Hollywood scene. And he had done a critique of the 2014 uh, movie about Noah, and the responses to his blog called him a false prophet, a joke, pathetic, a fraud, 
a special breed of stupid, a moron, and part of, the, of satanic Hollywood. And I left out a few that were not suitable for Sunday morning. Now, can you imagine? That's Christians talking to each other. Well, of course you can imagine. Because this is the state of our discourse right now in this country, right? It is rare to see disagreements that don't turn vicious and personal. It's not enough to challenge an idea. People I disagree with need to be taken down. And that's just people I disagree with. What do we do if somebody has actually wronged us? Sue them. Retaliate destroy. And then we pull up the scripture reading from this morning and hear the words of Jesus saying, if your brother or sister sins against you, go point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If you're listened to, you have regained that one. Now, y'all know I talk all the time about the upside-down way of Jesus, how the values of the kingdom are so radically different from the values of this world, and there may be no better illustration of that than today's lesson about how we are to behave when we've been wronged. This passage happens in a scene in Matthew's gospel. Jesus has completed his Galilean ministry, And the next chapter after this one, Jesus begins his march to Jerusalem and the cross. We're just a few chapters away from the crucifixion. And right here, before Jesus begins the march to Golgotha, Jesus does a little teaching about what to do when folks are fussing. He's been teaching throughout Matthew on these big themes, the kingdom of heaven and all of that. And now Jesus has a few words to say about what happens when church members are in a tiff. But Jesus knows that nothing has the power to derail the mission of the church like conflict. I love that I get to preach this message When this congregation is in such a season of harmony, in my 10 years as pastor, I cannot remember a time that held as much promise for us as right now. Amen Amen to that. All of our oars are roaring together. There are no sidelines, agendas. If there's any congregational squabble, I don't know about it. And I think we might be entering into one of our finest chapters of ministry together. But we all have memories and stories, don't we? We have some long embedded stories of the church not behaving too well. Some of you have been through some ugly church fights that weakened the witness of the church because conflict was handled so poorly. Now let's be clear, we're not talking about the absence of conflict. Every church has conflict. Every church needs a little bit. In fact, George Bullard, a a consultant, wrote a book entitled, Every Church Needs a Little Conflict. 
His intention is a little conflict is what's needed to agitate, move things forward. But it's poor management of conflict and severe conflict that can ruin lives and ruin churches and erode the witness of God's love. So how is the Jesus model of conflict so radically different from the rest of the expressions we see in the culture? First of all, Jesus' teaching here is not an HR manual. And this is another example where literal adherents might miss the spirit of the teaching. If you were going literally with the HR manual, you'd say, but if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you. Okay, that literally means take one or two, never three. Uh, uh, Don't meet them there. You have to take them along with you. That's tiring. The spirit is this. Handle conflict in the smallest circle possible. And the goal is always to rescue and forgive. If a brother or sister sins against you, the objective is to redeem, never to punish. Why go deal with disagreements one-on-one? It's the only way to prevent shame. If you bring a big old gaggle of folks with you, then they're going to know about the transgression. Now maybe they've got something that they've got to forgive. The first step always, Jesus said, is one-on-one. Let's you and me heal this thing together. The objective of the Jesus model of conflict resolution is winning. But it's not winning the argument. It's winning back the friendship. Jesus uses family language here. If your brother or sister sins against you, When Melissa and I were dating and we fussed, we would have long, drawn-out fusses because everything weighed so much. We'd be at odds and go to our corner and say, now, is this really the person I want to be married to the rest of my life? I want to spend my life with this person? Everything. It was just heavy and it weighed so much and it took so long. And then we got married and our spats didn't last that long anymore because we weren't going anywhere. We're tied to each other. Let's just get on with it. Delayed fusses are lost days. Let's just clear the air and move on. The relationship matters more than the winning. I'm convinced that that's why Jesus is using family language here. Jesus is talking about broken relationships within the church family. If you were reading along, your translation, some of the modern translations say, if a church member sins against you, it's a way of making the reading inclusive. But I think the family language is on purpose. I think it's a better translation the way we heard it read today. If your brother or sister sins against you. Because healthy families know how to fight. We're tied to each other in relationships, so let's get on with it. 
Let's be honest about our feelings. Let's confront each other and heal. Unhealthy families, unhealthy churches, either avoid conflict or seek revenge. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, imagines a painful image of hell. He imagines hell is like a vast gray city, a city inhabited only on the outer edges, with rows and rows of empty houses in the middle. Empty because everyone who once lived in them has quarreled with their neighbors and moved, and then quarreled with new neighbors and moved again, leaving empty streets full of empty houses behind them. That, says Lewis, is how hell got so large. Empty at the center and inhabited only on the fringes because everyone in it chose distance instead of confrontation as the solution to a fight. In the Jesus model of conflict, we move toward the conflict, but in a spirit of healing what is damaged. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If you're not listened to, if you are listened to, you have regained that one. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Handle the conflict in the smallest circle possible with the goal to rescue and forgive. If this brother or sister sins against you, the, the goal is always redemption, not punishment. And when we've been wronged, we move to repair one-on-one. And if it doesn't work, we just barely open up the circle. We invite a couple of more folks in, but still we're moving to repair. And if that doesn't work, we open up the circle a little more. But of course, it takes two people to reconcile. If the person continues to sin and harm and hurt, you might have to let that person go. If that person refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If every attempt to repair is ignored by the other, let them go. Do no harm, but let them go. Because toxic and unrepentant just does more relationship, more damage to the relationship and to the church. I'm embarrassed to tell you this story. It happened early in my teaching career. My first job at the seminary was admissions director. I was in that role for nine years. After that, for five years, I moved to direct a Lilly grant, a $2 million grant from the Lilly Endowment. After that, after doing that for five years, 14 years into my career at the seminary, and after I finished my doctoral degree, I finally entered into the classroom. 
I was teaching leadership and supervised ministry. One day I'm sitting in my office, grading papers, student knocks on the door, comes in, closes the door, and says, Dr. Hollingsworth, you're one of my favorite professors, which is why I'm here today. Today in class you said something that offended me and offended several other black students in the class. I don't think you know what you said or how it came out or how it was heard, but it did not go over well. I said, oh my gosh, what, what did I say? And when he told me and explained how it registered, I wanted to crawl in a hole. I wanted to beg. I wanted to remind him of how redeemed I am on the issue of race. I wanted to defend myself, and then I wanted to cry. I was utterly humiliated and ashamed. And with a lump in my throat, I made a simple apology. And he could tell that I was in a lot of pain, and he got up, came around the desk, and hugged me said he was going to try to make things better with the other black students in the class. And he left me to my embarrassment. He graduated, took an impressive ministry position out of state. I see him every year at the annual CBF national meetings. You will not be surprised to know that he is a leader among Baptists today. And when I see him, he hugs me, and we laugh, and we tell fun stories, and I show him pictures of the grandkids, and we celebrate the relationship, and all of that because he had learned the Jesus way, that you handle conflict in the smallest circle possible with the goal always to heal and restore. If a brother or sister sins against you, it is never the goal to punish, but to redeem. And some people have committed their lives to the upside-down upside way of Jesus. My friend had. Jesus promises at the end of our passage for today, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And I have felt the truth of that. You have too. When my former student hugs me with laughter and affection and friendship, Jesus joins in on the hug, celebrating that his family is still together. The family is still together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.